how you will run is nearly written. It's like all we can do is prepare. I'm sure you've done marathons, Ron, where training went great. Maybe you just had an upset stomach on the day. There's nothing you can do about that. But if you can take the lessons to be like, yeah, you know what? I aimed high here and maybe I didn't hit it, but it's like, it's like, as we said with Theodore Roosevelt, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit goes to the man who's in the arena. The perspective when I was like, I can retire at any time and no one cares. It just freed me. So it's like, well, why am I doing it? It's like, well, it's amazing because I could be in my thirties down the pub or not doing anything. This is what I want to do. I feel it's great to be nervous and excited and feeling like you're living on the edge. It's not just a mundane thing. It's like, I'm actually pushing myself. And again, I think when you get that, it's, it's, it's so free. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 95 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Owen Everard is a longtime listener of Run Chats who hails from Kilkenny, Ireland, and reached out to collaborate on this episode. I'm stoked to share his inspiring running journey and lessons learned as a sub-four-minute miler sub-14 5K, sub-30 10K, and five-time Irish national champion. Owen is currently the 3K European Indoor Masters champion, and in his professional life is a chartered physio who holds a PhD in biomechanics. Part one, we discuss his amazing running journey, his sporty, competitive, turbo-fast family. Older brother ran for the national cross-country team, and Owen shared a funny story how he regularly razzed him about it. His sister ran the 800 in the Rio Olympics. Can you say fast family? How he took a year off to fully dedicate himself to being his best, chasing an Olympic dream, worked on his mindset, and in his words, ran like a donkey. Then had an epiphany that nobody gives a shit what times he was running. If he was happy... His family and closest friends were happy. He went on to become a five-time Irish national champ after letting go of that self-imposed pressure. Part two, Owen has spent his life focused on how runners move and how to try and help them to move better, to get stronger and faster through his Pilates practice. We discuss muscle activation, running mechanics, injury prevention, carbon shoes, and varying training intensities. We took a deeper dive on how trying to improve one's running stride can be a cautionary tale and lead to injuries, and also focused on keys to avoiding injury long-term. All links mentioned in our discussion are in our pod show notes, Facebook, and on Owen's webpage and YouTube channel. Hoping you will be inspired by Owen's running journey, lessons learned and shared, and enjoy his proper Irish accent as much as my mom, Nee McCabe. Let's dive on in and take a listen. Owen Everard, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? Ron, I am so well. I'm really, really excited to be on this podcast. Uh, we just had a nice chat there and you sent some questions. So I just love your spirit. I li- love listening to the podcast. So as I said, I'm really excited about this. So thanks so much for having me on. 
Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. We got Team Ireland over there with the great Irish accent. My mom easily is going to be her favorite episode. We're going to have to get her to watch this one on YouTube and listen as well so she can feel like she's back at home in the old country, right? Yeah, she's from the Lake County cabin. So uh, yeah, shout out to Ron's mother. Yes. We've got an Irish brethren on the line. No doubt. Going to be 90 on September 4th. So, uh, you know, the Irish, they live long lives and, and strong lives as well. So tell everybody, I know you grew up in Kilkenny, right? So tell everybody a little bit about family background, where you grew up, because this is this is such an awesome uh, opportunity for me to have you on. Yeah. So I um, grew up in Kilkenny and I'm still living in Kilkenny, which is nice. Uh, been, ar- been around the world for a while. Like I was living in Canada and in the UK, but I'm back in Kilkenny now living with my wife and uh, my little dog is in the room here. So hopefully he doesn't make too much noise. Um, but yeah, so come from a very sporty family. My sister went to the Olympics. Uh, I would have played a lot of sports growing up and actually how I got into running would have been, um, you know, it would have been naturally quite fast, like my brother and my sister. And, uh, I was not really doing it that competitively. And then my brother qualified for an underage Irish team and he would like constantly rub it in my face. Like he would just come down to come down to breakfast in his Irish gear, just randomly, not say anything. So, and he'd always, I'm the only international in this house. So at about 16, I was like, right, I need to get one cap. I need to run for Ireland one time just so I can shut him up. Um, But yeah, I started running then and I didn't get a Irish international maybe for like two, three years. But by the time I did, I'd really got the love of it then. So um, yeah, that was kind of, that's our family. We're very sporty, just very competitive. And um, yeah, we get on great. Gotta love a little sibling rivalry, bringing it down to the breakfast table, rubbing it in. Yeah, exactly. We're, <laughs> wearing the colors, wearing the gear. Like, excuse me, like I'm on the national team. You're not. Oh, and by the way, sister in the Olympics. So seriously talented team. Now, what uh, what did your sister qualify in? What was her, what was her background? She went to the Rio Olympics. So she went for the 800 meters. So uh, yeah, she's, I think she's, I'm not sure if she's still, she was uh, the indoor 800 meter champion. So um, yeah, it went really well. She trained really hard. So it's just kind of naturally we'd always do it. I'd be older than her. Um, so she kind of followed in the footsteps, but I uh, went one step further than I did. So fair play to her. Amazing. So was your brother also an 800 meter runner or was he longer he, distance, he, different no, he distances? Qualified, yeah, he qualified for the cross country, but he actually played like he was a sprinter in rugby, but you know, when you're younger, say under, I think he was like under 13, 14, he, they just, his whole team just trained like demons for like a month. And he just had this like unbelievable race for him. And in fairness, he qualified, he has that international. So I, he would have, he would have trained still then um, as we went. But he didn't have the same kind of dedication. He just liked the the team sports a bit more, and he liked, you know, I, he had he had serious talent. But and he did run well. He ran fifty seconds for four hundred. Sorry, that's my dog going nuts. Love it. We 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 encourage pooches to get involved in episodes. We're <laughs> we're okay with it, Owen. You know, my dog sleeps as soon as the microphone comes on. There's something about the voice and the conversation. She sees me in the chair and gets, she just gets going. Yeah, yeah. She gets all curled up in a ball and, you know, she's a little older now. So in her in her youth, she might have just been uh, barking and jumping all over. But um, yeah, so he's had, he had the wheels. She has the wheels. You had the wheels. This family's fast, dude. What about mom and dad? Athletes? Not really. But like you see in Ireland, um, before my generation, uh, the 
like you played maybe local GA, but there wasn't there wasn't the culture that we had. Like my parents were basically taxi drivers for the first part of my life. You know, we're going to everything. So I think when they were growing up, like if if you had a car, it was at a premium. So it wasn't like your parents brought you here, there, and everywhere. So I think very sporty, yes, but not not any formalized sport really. Um but yeah, like my the were ever the Everards in general are quite sporty. So yeah, there must be there must be something there, I think. Something in the genes for sure. Um, with those kind of wheels. And also you guys were well rounded too. So it wasn't just running. You're playing other sports, you're into all the other team sports. And uh I just enjoy that dialogue anyway, because um running tends to we look at running as being an individual sport, but if you run on a high school team or you run on a college team, or you get signed, you know, by a brand. It is a team sport. Sure, you're you're out there trying to beat the hell out of anybody you're racing and take anybody out. Uh, if you're on the track, uh, a lot of elbows might be flying and and back kicks and all that. But you know, we're with team sports, it just opens us up to such different uh, you know tactics from coaches and how they work with us and around us. So the fact that you were doing other sports as were your brother and sister, um, how do you think that prepared you to be successful in running? Yeah, I think it's so important. Like, I think any parents uh, listening there, like if your your child has a, a talent underage, it's very easy to try to think I'm going to focus. But research even shows that the most uh, professionals play multiple different sports. Even I'm not just talking about running about any sport because you'll you'll learn different physical movements from different sports so we would have done a little bit of gymnastics we would have played rugby which would be quite physical we would have played field sports where we would learn you know that like side to side motion and that like adapts your body so that when you are just doing like say straight line running at least you have a foundation where you know your hips are used to moving side to side so they can probably take a lot more load in a in a linear direction because at least they've been developed um, more well-rounded as you were growing up. You know, I would be, as you said, we would have been fast, but you would have got a lot of the speed from doing field sports, you know, and then obviously the endurance of running would have helped other sports as well. So I think, you know, until 18, I was still doing at least two sports, kind of playing soccer with my my friends and up to under 20s even, I I, at that stage, I was starting to specialize. I was on scholarship here in, in Ireland, so I couldn't I couldn't play. Um, hurling is our national game here in Kilkenny, so um, I couldn't I couldn't play that anymore. And then, regards as you said, there, you know, one of the co- one of the questions he has was like key coaches or teachers or mentors. That if you can at all get your children, or if you can at all get into some t- type of team environment, because. That really helped me enjoy running earlier in my career. We had a, a teacher, Mr. O'Keefe, Mr. John O'Keefe. So when I went to high school, high school here is from, say, it's six years. So say kind of from 12, 13 until you finish and then you go to university or college. Um, but he started a kind of running program and there was like six of us and him just running at lunchtime. And that was all I was doing maybe twice a week. But he really, he really set that team environment to be important like that you're running for a team and really he had it that the last scorer was as important or even more important than the first scorer so say i'd be like one of the first scorers well 
you know, if I was meant to come first or second, you know, and I came second, well, that's great. You did your job. It wasn't like you're the superstar. But if if there was a guy, Mark, who was supposed to come 30th, but he came 25th, well, he met up five places. And that's what won us the championship. And literally, Mark would be the hero going home rather than the rather than the guy who came first or second. But it was great because it just encouraged that like team environment. It took pressure off individuals. And, you know, that can be a love of running when it can be a lonely sport. It can be very nervous, especially when you're younger. So, uh, you know, getting that kind of team environment is brilliant. Well, there's so much to dig into there. So Mr. John O'Keefe, we already love him. You know, that's why he's a legend, right? Um, You know, starting small with like six kids and building it. But so much focus that we put on today is just about winning. It, it seems to have gone both ways. It's either just about winning and who sets a world record or the fastest time, or it's let's give every single kid on earth a participation trophy or a medal or a badge and all of that. So, and somewhere in between is kind of where we really want to focus. But if you were coming in the front or in second or third all the time, yeah, you're, you're doing well and you should be rewarded for that. But the fact that he was putting more attention on the kids in the back and trying to find some creative way to make them feel that their impact was every bit as much and was as much was going to continue to grow participation and get more kids involved because most of those kids are the ones who aren't seen, Owen. They're the ones that feel like, uh, it doesn't really matter if I show up for this group running thing, right? So he's putting that emphasis on them and making them feel that they're an important part of what's going on. And more importantly, he's changing kids' habits, right? They're being active, they're being healthy. And uh, what a what a great thing to focus on. And as you said there, Ron, he's giving them value. And what I love what you said there, that you either get people and they're focusing, say, you know, quote unquote, on the superstar athlete and that like everybody else has to fall in line. Or it's the other thing where you just everybody gets a medal. It doesn't matter where his thing was. No, no, you have to be where you're at. And if you were if you were meant to come 30 or you're meant to come 60th in the race, if you could come and and he it was a genuine belief. It wasn't like anyone felt, oh, he's bluffing us here or he doesn't really believe this. This was like instilled to our whole team, where it's like, if that guy who was meant to come 60th, if he could come 55th, and even if he's not scoring on the team, if he can push back one of their people two places, that could be the difference. So no matter and what that is different than everyone gets a trophy, that is like you have more potential. You, okay, we're not expecting you to win, but we expect you, if you're coming 60th, not to give up and come 65th, to dig in as hard as you can. And the whole team, the other teams are cheering you on. And you're so right that like, you know, a lot of people, if they are runners, they might not have been as coordinated or as good at other sports. So you're kind of on the bench where at least with this, the way you had it with cross country, it was like, you know, you're competing against yourself. And then, as you said, you're hoping that can set up habits for life. Because one of the saddest things I see is that when, and I'm talking about, I've seen people who've gone to the Olympics and when they finish running, say in the Olympics, they forget all the habits that got them there. They stop eating healthy. They don't train as well as they did. And it's like, look, in the end of the day, it's, you know, I've done okay in running. Um, you, You can, you do what you do. The more important thing is that you learn the skills to become fit, fit and healthy, um, much more so than the, you know, the success. Because really, like, who can even name the 2017 world champion? 
no, you know, his family, you know, whereas if he then does that and becomes fat and unfit and not healthy, it's like, well, you didn't learn any of the lessons that you should have been, you should have done. Yeah, well said. And um, the other thing too, going back to team sports a little bit, because um, it's such an important developmental thing. Every coach has their own style, right? Oh, and some are really aggressive and strong and in your face and others are just very laid back and they don't really care as long as you're kind of coming out there and, and putting your best foot forward. Um, and I think it, that wide ranging of styles, it's good for us. We have to learn how to absorb that. The same way we have to learn how to connect with a teacher who's our science teacher, or our English teacher to get the best grade we can, right? To be our best. And um, obviously you, you know, just to introduce, you know, for the run chats audience, you have a PhD in biomechanics and you're a chartered physio. So, um, your running creds, we're going to get to, cause they're totally amazing. But, um, you talked about the different movements in those sports and it's obviously natural for you to talk about that given your, you know, professional career, what you're doing outside of your running life, but having a PhD in biomechanics and being a chartered physio, yes, those movements are great because, we're going to be a stronger runner if we're playing those other sports and we are moving side to side and we have lateral skills and agility and we develop some strength at an early age, you know, we're not going to get as many injuries. I mean, so many times with these kids, if they've just started playing field hockey, let's say, or they just started playing lacrosse or some of these other sports, you know, we see these ACL injuries, we see all these other injuries and we just hear all the time, well, it's common for them to get that injury. I mean, do you, I mean, do you think there's things they can be doing? I mean, I don't know how popular those sports are, you know, in Ireland, they may not be as popular, but I just yeah, know well, we have, we have, we have similar ones. So lacrosse wouldn't be that popular here, but we, we know of it and the movement patterns are the same. Uh, there's two, there's two things I could unpack there. So let me know if I go off on a tangent. The first is if we were actually just talking about say ACL injuries. Yeah, of course. Like I actually had a, um, I had a woman, uh, a mother, I was at a christening yesterday and she's like, oh, you, you told my daughter uh, that she was probably going to get an ACL injury. And she did. Now it's not, she, she was impressed by me, but I was like, it's not that thing to be impressed, but there's all building blocks underneath running. So there should be three types of exercise that people should be doing in life. And essentially that is restorative exercise, something like Pilates, yoga, mobility. And that's the ability to control your body your full range of motion in a controlled manner. So be able to control the full range of motion. So you need good mo movement and good stability there and coordination. Then you need um, martial skills. So the ability to defend and attack. So a certain amount of strength to push away, like obviously not to be in fights, but that type. And then the last one is what we call pedagogy, which would be games or general fitness. Now, if you look at like Greek uh, physical education, they essentially have like an hourglass, so two triangles on top of each other. So you have those three key pillars for the person to develop. And then you have the reason that they do it. And the reason will be for the self that you, um, you know, for yourself, it's good to be fit and healthy. There will be for society, which is that if we're all fitter and healthier, then there's less burden on, say, our healthcare system, et cetera. And then the last would be, say, um, you know, I think to call it interpersonal, but like, kind of either if you believe in God or the universe, whatever, it's like, it's a gift to be here. You know, that, that egg and sperm hit. So it's like, don't waste this opportunity. So you, you should have this balance of the reasons you exercise and those three that you have some restorative work in your week. You have some like 
ability to like defend or attack and then you have some ability to play sports but what's happened a lot is that in the 1960s 70s it really tweaked towards the pedagogy just the games being played so a lot of times especially in other sports like these acl injuries are definitely avoidable but there's just such an emphasis on playing the game playing the game playing the game which does give you great skills and is needed but there should be like an underpinning of the other key things. Like I had a guy today just um, in my clinic, he had an Achilles problem and he was told, he's like, I, I just read there that I should be on my toes. Now he's, this guy's overweight, right? But he, he, he went on his toes three weeks in a row. He's after tearing his Achilles slightly because I, I'm completely against people trying to improve their running stride by just saying, be on your toes, do these things that you're meant to do. What you should do is get the building blocks that help you with that. So get the mobility, get the like stability and strength, work on the coordination with some drills, and then never, ever try to improve your stride. If you have those building blocks, your subconscious and your body is so much more powerful to compute that than you to consciously think it. And a lot of people can, for runners, can get into trouble so where if they do other sports it's not like they have to think about their stride or think about injury you're giving yourself these building blocks that as you said will help prevent injuries later and will probably allow you to run a lot smoother oh wow i wasn't expecting us to go down this path but i'm so I know, happy sorry, I'm so, no, the no 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 i'm so happy that we did well we're going to get back to all of your own running credentials but since you brought it up because i think it's so important i see so many people we all do Instagram, Facebook, they have a following. They're runners. Maybe they're even run coaches. Maybe they're even a physical therapist, let's say. And I just see so many videos of people trying to correct people's quote unquote running form. How all of a sudden heel striking is bad, except that virtually every marathoner in history who was great, literally almost every one of them was a heel striker. And I just constantly try to people, hey, I've been around a lot longer. I'm 61. I've been running for 30 plus years. We all learn how to run. Right, Owen, we learned how to run. This has become your career, not only as a great runner, and we're going to get into your running creds, but also you have your professional life and how you can help runners. But we all learned how to run on a beach, on a farm, in our backyard, on concrete, wherever, and we fall and we get up and we keep going and then we run some more. And somehow our body and our brain learns the muscle recruitment pattern of how we're supposed to run for our frame, for our build. As we get taller, as we get bigger, maybe we get wider. Our brain knows how to do this stuff, but yet we've got all these people out there trying to tell us how we need to have more turnover and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, good Lord, this is not the way to improve as a runner. So I'm giving you the mic back, man, because this is your, this is your field. That is so well said, as you said, like, and like that, you say if you had 55 years of learning how to run correctly, adjusting it, and then I'd say at 55 or 56, someone's giving you a YouTube video saying, oh, actually, no, this is the way you're doing it. It's like, no, your body has been working this out and tweaking it as you go. And if you give it the building blocks underneath, so it's not saying never try and prove your, your, your stride, but it's like trust your body. And again, we didn't beam down here you didn't beam down here 61 years ago. Your mother came from Cavan. You know, 
we we're we're on this planet a lot longer than we were here. So evolution is working this out for us. That this is a fundamental skill. It wasn't like the cavemen and people running around were hoping that a guy with a YouTube video would help figure out how to run in, you know, 10,000 plus years or whatever we're on the wherever we're on the planet for that you just give yourself the building blocks and again i knew a guy he he was running when i was running at say european juniors he came second in the europeans an irish guy which was nearly unheard of um but the guy who bet him was actually another irish guy and it was the first time he one and two in the europeans underage ever the the guy who won was a natural like on his toes really beautiful stride the guy who came second thought well i'll just do that okay he got away with it for a while he as i said he was silver medalist under 18 by 20 he was completely finished running he had had to do two major surgeries on his both his achilles because he thought he could do something that his body there like as you said if you heel strike there's a reason you're heel striking your body is saying, hey, you're not, you're not ready to go on your toes. We don't have the elasticity in our tendon. It doesn't mean, or you don't have the cadence yet. That doesn't mean you, you can't do things like do a little bit of barefoot running or do some strength work or work on your mobility or do some, like if you look up a skip strides or do strides after, after a long run. So you improve your cadence, but you leave it there. Because I have I have parents, I have people say, I want to improve my running stride. And I was like, yeah, no problem. But we'd never work on it. Um, ne- I never bring them out and go run on your toes or like hit this exact cadence for a minute. It's give yourself the building blocks and I'm going to trust that evolution. And as you said, Ron, something I hadn't even thought about of you have the, for me, 35 years, for you, say 60 years of learning how to walk and run since you were a baby, that perhaps it's it's working out a system that's more efficient than this 20-minute YouTube video where this guy is telling you to do something that, oh yeah, well, this is more efficient. And it's like, I've seen so much more problems doing that than solutions. Yeah, I think, oh, and so we're born with certain mechanics, right? Or our bodies, right? So some people have a high arch, right? You have high arch. Guess what? You can't be a heel striker with a high arch. It's not going to happen. Your body won't allow it to happen. So depending on our builds, whether we're a little more muscular, whether we're a little more lean, whether we have a high arch, whether we have flat feet, like all of these things play into how we actually run and how we learned how to run, whether it was the first time we got out of our crib and ran away from our mom or our grandma or somebody to the first time we're old enough to play some sports. And the thing is, if we're focusing on getting strong, right, building strength, running hills, doing the things that naturally make us strong as runners and use our own tools that we have, like we're all born to run a certain way. I think more time and effort should be spent on making sure we're running in the right kind of shoe based on for our foot, let's say, um, maybe not saying I, I never have had to, 
Um, maybe you need to wear orthotics. You know, maybe you need to wear a shoe that has some motion control. Maybe you need a shoe. If you have a high arch foot, you're going to need a shoe that's really flexible. Okay. So you're going to need more flex in your shoe. And even going back to, and again, we weren't planning to talk about some of this stuff, but it's just too fun not to carbon shoes, which everyone knows are fantastic. We can run faster in them. They help us. But I also know so many friends of mine who have decided they're going to run all their runs in carbon shoes. And I know, you know, that can't be a good thing for you if you're running on carbon shoes all the time for training runs, tempo runs and race workouts. So what's your, what's your take on that? You're going to decondition your calves. So they're quite good if you've had Achilles issues or calf issues and say you're doing the longer like marathons like yourself run. I would say definitely use a carbon shoe for some of your say longer, uh, either longer specific marathon training. So, you know, if you were doing a, a workout within a, within a long run, but you need, you, you need to keep a level of strength in your, in your calf. So doing some, uh, doing some workouts in the old school flats, doing most of your running just in like, say your Nike Pegasus or your Brooks, whatever there, and then keep the uh, carbon fiber plate for race day of course, cause it's like a magic shoe. And then two for like, say longer, longer, or maybe one workout in a week. So especially you can do it a bit more with your workouts. If so, say if I was doing, I did a 10 K on the road, I know I'm going to use the carbon fiber plated shoe. So about a month out, I will do two of the workouts, the Wednesday workout and the Saturday workout in the carbon fiber plate, because I want to get my calves and my quads used to the running path. Like the, the shoes have changed the pattern of running we use. It's much more quad dominant now than it is calf dominant. Um, I do that, say, for the four weeks coming up to it. But now I have a cross country season coming up. So all the runs, all my runs, even then were my long run or my other runs were in my, I wear Nike Pegasus or they were in my Nike normal, normal running shoe. Um, and then at least one of the workouts now is a normal uh, racer that we used to use and maybe on grass because if I wear that carbon fiber plate all the time and then I have to transition back if I wore that every day my, your your calves are going to really decondition and then you're not going to be able to do anything without that shoe so just be careful thank you that's great advice um and coming from someone with the the credentials to give that advice so it's not just like some runner's opinion which is mine um, and I trust my opinion. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I've been doing been this doing a long it. time. Um, but if, yeah, you, you are going to run faster. We all know that. You're going to feel faster. But we're going to start wearing, as you said, you're going to, maybe you're going to start putting more load on your Achilles. You know, calves are going to get deconditioned, the things that you're pointing out. So by switching the drop level of your shoe, getting onto the dirt, getting onto the grass, or even doing some barefoot drills at the end, you're helping to kind of combat all of those things and keep everything down below strong enough to give you the proper support and stay healthy, man, because that's, that's what it's all about. We can't run our best times. We can't run any PRs. We can't make any national teams for Ireland like you and your family have if we're on the sidelines and we're in a boot and we're injured, right? We got to stay healthy. That's the key to this whole game. That's the key. And I've never seen a runner run his best, not feeling healthy and strong. Like in general, I feel like when I run my best, I feel quite strong. I feel flexible. I feel fast. And I feel like my endurance is high and for any distance. Now, obviously, you 
too specific, but you never see someone who has to, you probably had it yourself and I've definitely been there where you're slightly hurt or you're achy. So you're not on the sidelines, but you might have more tape on you than an Egyptian mummy and you're trying to get around. It's like you're not running your best time and it's not enjoyable. Yeah, no, no question. And you don't have the, the right range of motion too. Um, for whatever event you're trying to compete in. So you're not, uh, you're going to be putting uneven load on some other side of your body or some other part. It's going to be taking more load. So you're not running with your normal, most efficient stride. And you're just not going to, you're not going to get the results you're after. So let's jump back a little because I think we kind of know how you got involved with running because obviously such a competitive running family and just seriously impressive um, to have, you know, a family of three that are that talented, you know, at running at that age. But let's go. And I have, I have another brother and it's actually funny. It's like, look, I wish you hadn't done it as much, but he's more smart. He's like a doctor now and he's really smart, but he was actually quite a good runner, but he was kind of, he's kind of become like fourth or fifth or potentially winning a like a bronze but because we had all come before him it was like oh Carm, you're not good at this <laughs> I mean, it was just terrible i mean was, if he was in another family they probably would have been oh you're real sporty keep it up but uh so i just don't want to forget Carm up but yeah um, sorry go on that's no that's great um but isn't it funny how you know our own family dynamics can shift one of us, a brother or a sister like yeah, that. Yeah, that's it. You yeah, know, exactly. It, it, it's like, nah, nah, you don't have talent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or your brother wearing the national kit down for breakfast. You know, he, that probably didn't help uh, that brother either. You know, like, oh, yeah, you're not going to be yeah, on, you're not on the team. So, but now he gets to come down with the stethoscope and, you know, his MD license. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he yeah. can, he can rub it in, rub it in the other way. So let's, um, let's talk about some of your key race highlights, meaningful moments, PRs, things that have shaped you in your own running. Cause it's been very important impressive stuff so take us through a couple yeah well i i can think of three that really shaped me or i was delighted so as i said i was trying to get that international underage from 16 17 and honestly i was coming like top six would have got it in cross country i i came seventh i think three years in a row so i was like oh, i'm never getting here and then the europeans your juniors would be a much higher level but I really like uh, knuckled down and I was getting a lot better. Like my coach, Bob Norwood, was really doing a good job with me. But I was running and I, I we went to Germany and I ran like 0.1 outside the standard. And I was just like devastated, you know, and kept trying, kept getting really close. And they had closed off the the qualifying standard. So I'm not going. And I haven't ran, you know, you're you're going out with your friends and they actually sent me a message because you're only point one away. They were like, you know what? There's there's one race over in the UK. It's on a Saturday. We'll leave this standard. We'll leave we'll, the closing date. We're extending the closing date for everybody till five o'clock. So if you want to go, you, you can. And I was like, no, you know, when you've been disappointed so often, I was like, no, I just can't go again. And haven't trained and in fairness to that brother who came down in the in the Irish kit he was very, he was really good he was like listen you've been trying this all summer you may as well just go one more time and I went over to that race I just remember the conditions were perfect which is very relaxed because it was there and I I broke my PB by over a second in the 800 meters and then I was that was my first international and I, I like I that's now you know over like 18 years ago and it's, it still gives me kind of goosebumps so that was one of the first ones it just shows that importance of persistence like eventually it will come you just and 
you can never know when it's going to come. So you just kind of have to keep showing up. The second one then would oh, be one, one yeah, second. Tell us what you tell us what you ran. What I ran, I ran one fifty point two three for eight. So my PB now is one forty eight point four. But um, yeah, that that was a big breakthrough. I really I was really happy with that. So the second one then was um, I broke the four minute mile. Again, that was nicer because again the year before I had ran four minutes dead. I come second in that the national championships, and I really felt like oh especially with the nationals, you don't get that many chances. Obviously, it's not as competitive as America, but you don't get as many chances to to win that. So I just really focused, refocused. And when I broke the four minutes, I then, like 10 days later, I, I ran for Ireland in the middle and then I won the national championships. And it was just, you know yourself, Ron, I'm sure you've had loads of races where you're happy, but there's always like a feeling that like, oh, I could have maybe... You know, you could run a, a really good time for the marathon, but if you're close, you know, a big PB even, but if you were close to the like the next, say if you ran like a a 302, you'd always be like, oh, it'd be great to get 259. Or if you ran 254, you're like, oh, I wasn't too far away. So that was this one time where I broke that, where it was like, that was the only goal. And I actually had done it. Um, you know, so that was just like a phenomenal achievement. So those those kind of well they those two are kind of the main ones that that stick out as like big meaningful moments i broke 14 minutes and it was similar for 5k it was a similar feeling of that that's oh my god i've done it you know i was getting older i wasn't really sure but you know that's the they're the ones that you can look back and smile and i know sometimes with running it's not like you score a goal or you have those immediate highs it's much more the that long sense of satisfaction that like little rice smile of going like I freaking did that I put so much work into that and I did it is the is the big buzz hell yeah it stays with you Owen um if you make it easily um and you continue chopping things down and we all know running isn't linear it's the last sport in the world you'd ever think of as linear because you know we have these uh maybe plateaus or injuries or maybe it's mental maybe it isn't mental maybe it's just how we're training our approach to training just hasn't really we haven't really unlocked it yet or in your case you're coming so close um you know you're you're one place away and you know cross country from qualifying you're a tick away from qualifying at another time or you know that magic moment of you know going sub 4 and i mean come on ireland's got the greatest a uh, miler running yeah. tradition in history, man. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, literally yeah. what a what a collection of milers and just uh, you know track and field, you know, indoor, outdoor, just all of it. So, um, had to be just an awesome, awesome feeling. And you know, what was it like to get a chance to wear the kit, man? That had to be that had to be pretty amazing stuff. It was great, especially because it had been hard won, you know. So sometimes you can be a bit ignorant to the fact, you know, because Killian had done it. I was like, oh, okay, I'll just train really hard for cross country and I'll do it. And then, as you said, you keep coming up slightly short, slightly short. So it was just really, with these things, it's like they're never, the actual high you get on the day is never so high. It's such much a more lingering feeling that I can talk to you about it, Ron, you know, 18 years on and still have that kind of sense. I can still feel it in my, you know, in my gut of how it felt you know it's more that lingering sense of satisfaction you get i think people are chasing highs in running or anything there's never it you're going to always be disappointed because there's never this this euphoric feeling like there is a sense of relief there's a sense of satisfaction but it's more just the 
looking back at it and smiling, I think is the main thing. Yeah. Oh, that's always going to make you smile. Uh, yeah. And the, the coolest thing about it is it'll make you smile more as you get older. And hopefully, you know, you, you said you're married, hopefully you'll have kids and, and they'll get into running or other sport. Um, but if they look back on that at some point, um, you know, with pride and, you know, the, the family tradition of running and, and how well you all excelled is really, really impressive stuff. But uh, it does stay with us, man. It stays with us a long time. And, you know, it gives us the, we want to share the, that experience. You know, we want to bottle our own experience, that joy, that smile that it, it brings to your face and share it with other runners and, and help them hit their goals um, and continue to be successful. So to run those kind of fast times, and you also have sub 30 minute 10 K as well as a master's runner. So you, I mean, you have an incredibly impressive run, running resume, my friend Owen, very, very, very impressive. Um, Thank you, Ron. Um, so there's, there's the hard work, there's the training, there's the grinding, there's the mileage, there's all that. Um, and that's, you can't do it without it. It doesn't work any other way. And figuring that piece of the formula out is important. But I think the other piece, which is always super important, is just like mindset, um, how you approach training, the mental side of the sport, and just the value of what you place on that, how, how much of that has been a part of your success. You know, I have really changed my um, mindset in the, in the, like I had a big shift where I would have had those early successes. Um, so this is a tiny little bit left field where, but I would have been very nervous. You know, I would have couldn't sleep before a race. I'd be, you know, once I got to the juniors, it would be very, say, promising. You're thinking of maybe going to the Olympics and whatever else, but I would have been very nervous. I wouldn't have um, really enjoyed racing because of, because of those feelings. But um, I said, if I was going to write a book, it'd be called No One Gives an S because what happened was it was the greatest gift. I had taken a year to go full time after college and I had stagnated. Like I was still running well, but I kind of stagnated and took a year to run full time. And I really was trying hard, but I just ran terribly. I ran like a donkey. And that's when, you know, when people say like, oh, mindset or belief. Like I honestly, I was doing every, I was looking in the mirror. I was writing times on my shoes. But if I look back, I just wasn't as fit. I don't think the training I was doing was was suiting me even though I was training every day and I was I thought I was doing the right things um but it was the biggest blessing running crap like that for the year because once then the next year I kind of resigned myself to retiring I was at that age I was like 26 27 um and when I came back the next year I was kind of running just to enjoy it and I started doing okay again because I was training with a new coach and you know, they say sometimes it's like it, once you see something, you know, there's a story like there's a story in the the Bible about the wise men. So they go to see the baby Jesus and then they have um, they have a, a vision saying Herod's going to collect him. So don't go back the same way. Yeah. Well, like what that means is that if you have an epiphany, if you if you see something, you you can't you can never go back the way you were before. And I had the epiphany that. Nobody cares in a good way. My friends and family are still, they still love me. And as long as I'm happy, they don't mind. Okay, I've run, say, 13, 50 for the 5K. If I'm running 19 minutes or 22 minutes, if I'm like, I'm so happy with this time, they're happy. And it's like the wise men. It's like, once you have that epiphany, I could never go back 
I couldn't, I, I wasn't nervous then. I was finally sleeping before races. Now you still get nervous, but I'd be excited. I'd be like, isn't it brilliant that I have a chance to race? Like there's that Theodore Roosevelt's um, kind of poem or, or speech, Man in the Arena. I, I recommend people looking it up. It's like, you know, like most people say, especially your age, Ron, like at 61, it's like, they're sitting on a couch. They're not doing anything. So if you're nervous for a race, it's like, my God, like I've given myself an opportunity to do something that 99.9% of people my age can't do. And that's so amazing, you know? So that gave me that type of mindset that it doesn't matter if I ever feel like I'm really nervous. I don't have to race. I don't actually have to do this. And then it puts it in my head. of like, okay, why do I do this? Do you know, you know, what am I going to do with this other time if I'm not going out for a run? And then we kind of talked about it earlier about that sad thing when people run in the Olympics, but when they stop, they just completely forget it. Now I just think, my God, it's great to be fit and healthy. It's great to be able to go down to a track or for someone say to be able to just run a seven minute mile. When you took, if you took an average uh, person off the street, they, they physically couldn't do what you can just do for miles, you know? So that's my kind of mindset. It's, it's much more of like, this is who I am. This is what I enjoy doing as opposed to you know, I, I really dig in deep and I try. I think a lot of times runners are too hard on themselves. They don't, they don't relax and they don't, don't appreciate what they can do. So I, I learned that the hard way because I was the worst. I was, the, I was so nervous. I said I was so nervous. There's one time over at a race in Germany where I was staying with a guy, but he had raced the night before. So I was on a, a couch bed and he had the double bed. And we said, right, your race is, say, we landed there Friday. Your race is Saturday. My race is Sunday. And um, so he, I was on the couch bed Friday. He was racing. So he's out on the Saturday night and I'm in the room. And I remember still at three in the morning, constantly switching beds because, I did, well, I slept okay in this couch bed, but this bed is better. So having these things of just like nearly praying to be like, just let me sleep. I just don't care. Now, just let me sleep. You know, but it's it's funny. You need sometimes you need sometimes bad things need to happen for you to learn. Wow, there's some great stuff in there. Um, probably the best lesson of all. The best lesson, if I could just give that to all my friends. It still having conversations just this morning with one of my good friends, just getting ready to go up and run Falmouth. Um, whether it's a text conversation or an actual phone conversation, a FaceTime, whatever. Um, you learn the most important lesson of all. No one gives a shit. I'll say it out loud. No one. Yeah, I didn't know no, if you're allowed to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we are allowed to. Uh, you can. Um, but yeah, no one does. No one does. And the single biggest piece behind it is your family, your friends, the ones who care about you, or even your coach who may feel more linked to your results and may feel more validated if you do succeed. Oh, and like, they're going to go totally off of you. They are going to read the room based on how you react to your yes. own race. So if you come back from world champs and you run three seconds slower than you thought you were going to run, but you have a smile on your face or, you know, you're taking it well because you went out and tried to take, make the race happen, let's say, or push the pace and, you know, but, but you didn't get the end result you wanted, but you ran the race you wanted to run. The time is inconsequential. Um, you know, I'm a huge David Goggins fan and I just love Goggins and not just because he drops all the F-bombs, but because he just challenges people to look in the mirror and just take ownership. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, stop worrying about what everybody else thinks you should do. And people who, when you say you want to reach for something really big, you know, one of his best sayings is they want to drag you down. They want you to fail. They want to pull 
they want to pull you back down to their level, you know, even though they say they're rooting for you, oh, and they want you to win. And that's such a Goggins thing. Um, no one really does care. Um, and yeah, we have all these round numbers we chase and we want to make these standards like an Olympic team or run for the Irish national team, or we want to run a Boston marathon qualifier, or we want to run an Olympic marathon trials qualifier standard. Hey, life is more meaningful when we chase big goals, but you're going to get there or you're not based on your fitness level, based on how you've trained. And if you allow yourself, keywords, allow yourself to run the best race you can on race day. If you get so bottled up and so worried, you know, that you can't actually, you know, produce what you're capable of because of your fitness level, um, you might waste a great opportunity to have the race of your life because you just get so hung up and all of that other stuff. And once you realize that no one does care about that other stuff, and it is a privilege and a blessing to be able to line up and race at any age, your age, my age, or anywhere older in between, you are going to have your best chance for success. Stop worrying about what other people think you're supposed to run or going to run. So I'm so happy that you learned that lesson and it's had to have had an impact on your running, I'm sure, correct? Well, yeah, because basically what happened then, as I said, like, and I was basically out. So I completely changed my perspective. As I said, I used to, honestly, I was full time. I'd spend two hours preparing, eating the right thing, having music to G, me, G myself up for any session. I went to just the first year, you know, I had to cycle to meet a guy to get a lift and it was super early in the morning. Um, but yeah, my best running, I hadn't won any national championships. After that, I won five. Um, I broke the four minute mile, I broke 15. So I ran my best, but honestly, like you're saying, while, while those achievements are brilliant and I look back and we've talked about how much I smile about, you know, it's great when you're saying I'm sub 30, I'm sub 14, I'm sub eight for 3k, I'm sub four for the mile, I'm sub 340 for 1500. So I have great achievements, but the best thing I got, honestly, if you could give me those achievements or that mindset I have, like I, the one thing I would never give back is that bad year because it's like you say, Ron, and it's like, you know, even, um, I had a friend as well. It's like, I just, it's, it's like something that's like you either can get it. And I always just try and this person gets so upset when they ran poorly. And it's like, look, no one cares. We still, they still love you. Like if your friend who's going up to that race, if they were coming back and you go, you know, Ron, I didn't run as well as it could, but the training I've put in. I feel healthy. I gave my best. Like we can, you know, it's like that Le Mis musical. There was a song I used to love. It was like one day more. And it's like one day more we'll discover what this God in heaven has in store. It's like you can, it's nearly like the running stride. We cannot determine, you know, or that that kind of uh, Islam thing of Maktub. Like this is written. How you will run is nearly written. It's like all we can do is prepare. I'm sure you've done marathons, Ron, where training went great and maybe you just had an upset stomach on the day. There's nothing you can do about that. But if you can take the lessons to be like, yeah, you know what? I aimed high here and maybe I didn't hit it, but it's like, it's like, as we said with Theodore Roosevelt, it's his one. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit goes to the man who's in the arena. And that's what the perspective when I was like, I can retire at any time and no one cares. 
it just it just freed me. So it's like, well, why am I doing it? It's like, well, it's amazing because I could be in my 30s down the pub or not doing anything. This is what I want to do. I feel it's great to be nervous and excited and feeling like you're living on the edge. It's not just a mundane thing. It's like I'm actually pushing myself. And again, I think when you get that, it's 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 so free. I think it's just a, a great lesson. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this is going to get so much out of it because it has nothing to do with our times. Um, we all have those anxieties. Every single one of us does. We think other people are worried about what we're going to do or what we should do and other things. And we're all going to have doubts. I mean, because just as you said, you can put in a great cycle and have a horrible stomach on a day where you're having to go in the, into the loo or the port of john or whatever the case might be. Or maybe we just don't get enough gels in and, you know, we just just don't we're not able to close the race, even though we were capable of it if we get if we had gotten that piece of it right. But that's how we learn. And you know what? It's not a magic Hollywood story for everyone. We don't get to all hit the goals and standards that we want, but you should never stop chasing it, man. Never stop chasing it. Never, never stop chasing and never underestimate. It's like, while you were in that shape, maybe you didn't see it, but like to even try attain this is, is so special. Do you know, like to be trying to run things that we just kind of take for granted. It's like, no, no, this is, you're, you're kind of pushing yourself. And that's why I was really looking forward to this podcast. When I saw some of the questions, I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic because these are things that sometimes we don't address. Like I know we were just maybe going to talk about maybe like the darkest hole, but like what we're talking about there, like a guy I really like, he's he's dead now, but uh, Anthony DeMello, he's a stuff, he, he's a, a concept where he's like, we have everything we need to be happy that it's like, you know, little children are just randomly happy. What happens is we get attachments so we can still have, he calls them preferences, not desires. You should still be like, life is about trying to attain things. But what a lot of us do is like, basically, I'm not going to be happy until I do this. And if you can see beyond that, like nearly observe your, your problems like a friend. So, you know, it's like, if you could think, imagine I was, say if you're the person heading up that race, it's like, imagine I was getting a call from Ron and he was, he was super nervous. So he's like, look, I'm, I'm gutted with this race. You, you, if, as a concerned friend, you'd be like, no, you're re really fit. You can go again. But sometimes when it's us, we internalize that so much. And we're nearly saying like, I won't be happy until I hit this goal. Whereas it's nice to have goals and attainment, but just kind of realizing that these are just attachments. These are things that are external to reality that we kind of put conditions on to be happy and you're not they're not needed and I would have done that more than anybody earlier in my years and the ironic thing is you get more success when you stop doing that like you know I won all my all Ireland's but I don't want people to think it's like oh yeah I'll do that to the all Ireland's even though I love winning national titles and breaking sub four as I said I give that up for the other thing because I was miserable not miserable but so nervous and anxious about racing and there's such a freedom if you can get past that. Yeah, it's such a such a powerful lesson. And uh, on the attachments, yeah, we it's so true because follow go to any schoolyard anywhere in the world, and if you just turn the kids loose, man, and just let them run around, 
um, you will see a lot of smiles. You will not see a lot of yeah. kids crying. You won't see a lot of unhappy kids. You'll see a lot of smiles because it's what we're born to do, man, is run around and, and you know, we want to play games and, you know, maybe the games in Ireland are different than they are in the U.S. And I'm sure they are different than they are in Italy or South America or Asia. But, you know, our most fun games when I was a kid were all chase games. They were all like literally chase people around for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, you caught them and then someone else caught you, you know, whatever it's tag or ringy or, you know, we had a hundred different names for it, but basically that's what it was or hide and go seek. But, you know, the, the part that was fun was chasing people, man. It was running and, you know, yeah, try- chasing, running and, and you don't have any, like, like they're just happy. If you ask them, why are you happy? It's like, oh, I'm just happy. It's like, they're not thinking, well, I need to achieve this to be happy or I need to catch him 10 times to be happy. It's like, I'm just running. That's and if it. I get caught, I'll just chase after him. And that's, that's the kind of, you know, the, we kind of develop these conditions or we develop these things and we think we need to, we need to achieve these things to be happy. But that's why you see people like Tyson Fury. Like the worst thing that can happen to some of these people is that they actually attain what they're looking for as they realize it's not, you're no happier with this or without it, you know? They're absolutely not. The corner office, the Mercedes, the country house, all these other things. They're just they're just things. They're they're collections, as you said, or maybe maybe more accurately as he's saying. Yeah, but and you can still have them, but it's funny, it's like like I had a now it's gone old now, but I'd say I got a, a BMW when I a few years ago. And um, you know, it's like yeah, I'm gonna save up and get this car. But I had a I had a terrible crap car before that, you know, but there was a freedom with that car. And then I get the BMW and someone scratches it like I'm in a bad mood. And it's like, who do I own this car or does this car own me? Like how, you know, it's like, so after a while, it's like, no, I'll probably get another nice car eventually. But it's like, I'm leaving this one because I want to, even Seneca has that thing. It's like, you know, it, and it comes back to running where his his thing with um, riches, it's like once a month, basically be content with the, scar- the, the scantiest affair, like just eat like cheap food, like go in cheap clothes or if you could have a bad car. And it's like, ask yourself, is this the thing I fear the most? And it's the same with me. When I ran poorly, you're quite, because it went for a year now. It wasn't like I ran poorly once and realized. It was like, but after a year, it's like, God, yeah, nobody, like the people I was worried about, they haven't called me. Friends and family, as long as my mood's okay, they're happy. And it's like, was this what I feared so much? Like, there's nothing to this, running bad. I can run bad again. And then when I had it, I was like, as you said, like with the wise men, it's like once it's it's a you observe it, maybe it'll hit some people, maybe it won't. Um, but once you see it, it's like you can't unsee it. Yeah, I think it's it's powerful stuff. And for anybody, an age group runner, somebody trying to um, I had a guest on my um, show, Elizabeth Clore, um, mentally she would just put these obstacles in front of herself and just could not qualify for Boston for years and years and years. She had the ability, she was running all the other fastest times and her book was awesome. I mean, it was just a basic book on how she had to overcome her own, you know, pitfalls, things that she was doing, self-destructing her own races. And her book is wildly popular. She was on my show uh, about just the things that she continued to do that were kind of causing her to fall short or miss the mark. And it was all on the mental side. It was not physical training. It wasn't mileage. It wasn't workouts. It wasn't nutrition. It was just all of these other things. And, you know, it's just, it's beautiful to see somebody have an epiphany like that, like she had, like you had, where you realize, hey, 
you know, uh, I'm going to do better if I unburden myself, you know, if I just allow myself to run the way I'm born to run, quote unquote, born to run and the way I've trained. And, you know, when we don't hit our results and, you know, we might've been messaging about this or exchanging thoughts on it before. I'm not even sure myself, we might have been messaging about this. The results that we get are generally what we deserve. I mean, that's just generally the way it works out. Yeah, unless we just, Yeah, unless we just tactically run a really bad race and that's more in, in the kind of distances you're running because, although sure, there's certainly tactics in a marathon, but more, you know, most marathons aren't really, you don't become a bad race or an awful race because of tactics. I mean, they can, you know, if you go out and you're yeah. running 40 seconds faster than your marathon yeah, exactly. pace in the first 10K, sure. But it's more likely to happen on the track or maybe in a cross-country race or in a shorter distance race where those mistakes are magnified more. Um, you get boxed in, you're not in the right position, you can't respond, you know, coming around, you know, like say in the 1500 meter final, which was awesome at world championships, you know, seeing yeah, Jake, yeah, seeing exactly, Jake Whiteman. Yeah. And, you know, I met his dad, Jeff, man. So that was super cool for me. I was on a panel at the London Marathon and Jeff is, you know, obviously a great track and field announcer, is hugely involved in calling, you know, Diamond League meets and European races. Um, and knows so much and coaches and coaches his son, right? So I was on this panel and he was asking us questions about marathoning and qualifying for the world age group championship. So I, I didn't realize until Twitter and friends forwarded to me that he was the track announcer that night calling it with his son, you know, when Jake, you know, came off the corner there and, uh, yeah, that's took, so cool. Took it? down Inga Britson and yeah, I'm going to have to get Jake on, Jake onto the show. That will be, that will be a good one. But, um, you must've enjoyed watching those world champs, right? They were fun races to watch. Yeah. Yeah, right? I really liked it actually. Yeah, my sister um knows knows Jake quite well. So I might ask. I'll I'll ask him. I'll see. Cool. Um, yeah, could he come on? Because he is great. He would be great to talk about. Might like I'm totally of the opinion that you run basically what your fitness is, that you know, a lot of runners are so hard on themselves that they think, oh, like I just gave up in that race. But realistically, I guarantee if I could see your physiological stats, like your heart rate, your lactates that you you were actually redlining for way longer than you think you you know most of the time but he had a mindset even Kira was telling me on the track where I think he got injured before world championships um you know like a week or two out and that that would fold most people but him and his dad were like look Mo Farah this happened to him a couple of uh a couple of years ago some people's bodies are different and he just had a mind like a mantra yeah, my body's different. And he got to the, I think he came sixth or fifth in the world final. This guy was like, most people would have not even gone, you know? So, um, yeah, I'll ask Kira. I'll see. I can't guarantee anything, but I'll ask her. Cool. And how about the Commonwealth Games? You had to enjoy those too, right? Yeah, they're great. Yeah, yeah. I love uh, Laura Muir and, um, you know, the 10K, the women's 10K were great races. So cheering them on. They were great to watch. Yeah, that 10K final, man. Goosebumps. You know, I didn't didn't think Bacolgan had her in her, man, but she got the, yeah. the crowd. The whole crowd was just so, you know, it just that's, you know, the very definition of channeling, channeling the stadium, man. Getting the Yeah, getting you get that crowd. energy. Yeah, coming off that corner, man. You just didn't know, but really, really impressive stuff. So um let's shift gears, because obviously your own running again is super, super impressive. But for our audience, you know, for the run chats audience, so many of us were always just fighting, trying to stay healthy, you know how to train best to optimize and get the best results. And I mean, you are so qualified, you know, in this area to give 
some pointers. So again, you know, for the cred side, sub four minute mile, five time national champion, sub 14 minutes for 5K, sub 30 for 10K. I mean, if that doesn't scream impressive, what does? But then also your PhD in biomechanics and your physiotherapy practice, um, getting people to work on Pilates and do strength stuff. So what are some things, you know, that you could talk about you know, that we had discussed a little bit that might help runners just to stay healthier and get them focused on some areas that could help them improve? There's three things that they should do. The first is we kind of talked about variation is so important because if you're just constantly running the same pace, the same distance, um, what happens is you're constantly just using the same range of motion. So the same part to say the Achilles tendon or the plantar fascia or your knee joint or your hip joint is getting used. So varying the training that you're doing, there's several ways we can do it. One, we talk about changing your footwear, changing the surface you run on, changing, having like, I'm not a coach or anything, but having a coach or structuring your week so that it's not just you go out and you have the loop that you do at your house, you know, and that's what you do that, you know, maybe on a Wednesday, you do some kind of threshold work on a, on a Saturday, you do maybe some kind of interval work with a warm up and a cool down. So you're varying your paces, you're varying the shoes you're wearing, you're working on the surfaces. Doing strides after a run is absolutely crucial. It just, um, and it kind of brings me to the second point, activates the muscles way more. So runners only get what we call passive structure injuries. So what that means is you never hear of a runner tear their quad, tear their hamstring. It's always if they got plantar fasciitis, they got Achilles tendonitis, their knee is sore, they have hip pain, their back is sore. Okay, like the SI joint might be um, locked because while running is brilliant for burning calories and cardiovascular health, it is not good for muscle activation. So for a runner, you need to switch on the muscular system. That's why I recommend, say, sports Pilates like at least once a week or the gym, especially as we get older. You need basically to wake these muscles up. People are going and they're like, oh, well, I do a stretch. I do my glute stretch for 30 seconds. It's like you're you're sitting for eight to 10 hours a day. Here, wake up, wake up. A 30 second stretch isn't going to do anything. You need to wake these uh, muscles up. So it's like if I was in a bar, with you, Ron, and someone was starting a fight. Well, if I'm beside you, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to try to break it up or whatever. I'm there. So I'm the muscular system if you're the passive system. If I'm asleep in my bed and you're in the bar and the, the fight starts, I'm asleep. I can't help you. And that's the same with the muscular system. So you need to do certain type of training to essentially innervate or wake up these muscles so that it takes the load off. So I would say at least once per week, if you could do kind of a gym, or as I said, we run our sports Pilates, or at least do some strides afterwards. This doesn't have to take any more time. Just constantly try increase the pace. Never try force your training. You should never feel more than 90%. Pick it up for like 10 seconds. Jog easy for 50 seconds. Save your out for a 60 minute run. Start these at 55 minutes. You don't even have to walk back if you don't have the time. But they allow you to change the range of motion in the hips and get the muscles firing, which essentially wakes them up. And once they're w- woken up, 
it's like we were talking before, like subconsciously, your body will not allow you to sustain a lot of injuries if the muscular system has been worked in the way it should be. What happens is if it's if it's dormant, if it's because of the way we sit a lot, it's just not awake. It can't actually physically do the, the help when we run. So they would that would be the second thing. Make sure that you're getting the muscular system worked. And we do that at least, you know, 45 minute session at least once a week, or you could split it into half, like, you know, two kind of 20, 25 minute sessions. But you need to have some sort of that work in your week and then with some strides. And then the last thing is there's a thing in the research called acute to chronic workload ratio. And what that means is that if you're getting ready for a marathon, say, Ron, keep in strides or every so often do something a little bit shorter so that if you're transitioning back to like say 5k work your body has some preparation so it's not the amount of load or amount of running that you do that seems to cause the biggest spike in injuries the biggest spike in injuries comes when it's something uh, a big spike in unaccustomed running so say i've been doing 5k training all year and I haven't done any longer runs and then I switch it's like okay I'm going to do um a fall marathon well just starting to go into longer you say a 13 a 14 mile run that's what causes the more increased chance of injury where if, if I was doing a 5k but just every two or three weeks still kept in like say a 10 or 11 mile run it just allows your body to ha- be accustomed to that type of training so that when you go into a block of it, it's easier. It's the same. If you were doing longer training and then just quickly switch to, say, more 5K speed work, it's the big spike in that type of training that causes it. Whereas if you can keep a little bit of each type in throughout the year, the transitions are so much smoother and the chance of injury are so, is so much less. Those are great, great tips um, and uh, definitely will help keep people more healthy um, for sure. And um, strides are just so important. Even for myself, I, I'm constantly beating it into my friends' heads. You know, are you doing your strides? You're doing your strides. And I, I just don't do them as regularly as I should. And I know when I'm warmed up for a race, really, truly warmed up. Um, we had a 5k, I don't know, it was like a week after Boston and I wasn't going to run it, but it's, it's a neighborhood race for me. It's, uh, I don't know, it's say three miles from my front door. It's on the Jersey side, New York Roadrunners runs the New York city marathon and all the New York races, but those races aren't all in New York city proper. They're in some of the other boroughs. Well, they finally put a race over on the Jersey side and I was like, you know, it's the morning of, I'm like, all right, you know what? Just get it the heck up and have some coffee just run the hell down there. And so I have the, the Vaporfly has those little cinch bags, you know, those little white bags, yeah. the Vaporfly, the Alpha Flies come in. So I put my racing flats in there and I had my singlet and all my stuff on and I just ran down and it's like three, three and a half miles, which for me I, at 61, I need more miles. I need more than a two mile warm up. I need three, sometimes even four to truly get loose. And then when I got there, Owen, I was able to, change into my racing flats after already having run about three and a half miles, you know, and then I actually did strides when I was really warmed up. I wasn't partially warmed up. I wasn't most of the way I was warmed up. I did strides. I got loose. I really felt like, wow, man, 
I feel really loose. Like I'm ready to go. Like did not expect to feel like I was ready to run. And what a difference it made in that 5K. I never expected to run as well as I did with no 5K training at all. Of course, I'm doing a lot of mileage coming one marathon after the other, but I felt great that day because I got enough of a warm up in and I got the strides in. And by the time we got into the corral, you know, when everybody takes off, like as is the case in a 5K, you know, there was no panic. There was no, you know, nothing frantic. I just felt good. And I looked down on my watch three quarters of the way through the mile. And I was like, whoa, I'm running. I'm running pretty well. So, man, I'm glad you brought it up. And then on the strides side. I just say on that, though, just just a really quick, there's a really quick practical tip that will really help people. There's a thing called VO2 kinetics. If before a 5K, like Ron is saying there, say 10 minutes out, if you do a 30 second stride at race pace and then allow yourself to recover, it only takes you about six seconds to get back up to full VO2 max. If you haven't done strides, it can take 30 to 40 seconds. So and then then you can be panicking. So doing a long stride just before a 5K, say 10 minutes out, can really open up your lungs to make it a lot, uh, a lot easier. So make sure you're trying to include that into your training. That's a great tip. Um, and I, I, would that also apply to if you're running five miles, 10K or- Yeah, any, yeah but just any, do it at the race pace. Yeah, 30 seconds at your race pace. So the strides would be at, at race pace effectively. You could do you, what we normally do, say 10 to 15 minutes out, we'll do one longer stride. Then I'll, tr- then I'll change into my uh, racers. And then we might do the three kind of 10 second strides with like a walk back, just nice and easy. Got it. Those are, those are great tips. And then also for the runners that, um, have access to run on grass as well. Um, I know, you know, barefoot running in the grass is just simply one of the best damn things you can do to strengthen the lower chain down there. You know, the feet, yeah. the Achilles, everything. So you're a fan, All I would you're say a fan of is Don't overdo it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Start with five minutes. I never go, for myself personally, I never go above 10 minutes. I know people do, but little and often of that, as Ron is saying, you're thinking of that as like injury prevention, essentially like a kind of modified gym session for your feet and your lower legs, as opposed to trying to get mileage done for your feet. But it just wakes up the the sensors in your feet. And like some people are skeptical. I just say, Take the sh- take your shoes off, take your socks off, try it, and then put your shoes back on and see how it feels. And 90, 90% of people will know straight away it's like, it feels like magic. Yeah, it really does. Um, have you used a mobile board? No, actually. I'll send you a link to it. Um, yeah, brilliant. Just a guy who's concentrates on the lower chain, the feet, strengthening, balancing. Um, so could any of those things help? And again, going back to your bio and your physio practice, um, and now being a master's runner yourself and still, you know, crushing great times. How about just some injury prevention tips? Cause I know you have a book as well, but just maybe a couple of tips here, um, before we get towards the end here. Perfect. Well, I have my book. If people want to get a free download, it's how to get to the line in the best shape possible. You just go to Everard Pilates. So E-V-E-R-A-R-D Pilates, B-I-L-A-T-E-S.com forward slash book. And all of the kind of stuff we're talking about and other injury prevention stuff is there. I can also give you a link, Ron. Um, we do have free trials for the sports Pilates, but I can just send a link. If people don't want to do that. Say, I just did a five minute, five minute video of like, here are some of the key exercises. As I said, in the class, I give the kind of, you know, how I would do it. And again, you can do the class for free for a week in September, try it and see if it suits. 
But like key ones, the key exercise for me, if I was just going to do one, would be a single leg deadlift. I would stand on one leg. You bring your other leg back behind you and just try to hold that for about five seconds. And if you can repeat that 10 times, you're laughing. So just doing a little bit of that posterior chain work, because especially when we're doing longer, longer running, like 10K, five mile, 10 mile marathons, there's an over-reliance on the calf. We're not lifting the leg. So we just need to, that's a great exercise. It engages the, the arch of the foot, but also engages the like hamstring and the glute working in like a standing position. So if you're only going to do one exercise, I would do that. I'd also then, if we were going to do more than that, I would do a little bit of bridging, you know, just glute bridging and a little bit of core work with a little bit of balance. And again, what we're trying to do is, yes, strengthen these areas up, but really it's just to wake them up so they start taking pressure off the passive structures. So activation, you know, back to activation. Activation, yeah. Like, And again, don't be afraid to have your muscles absolutely burning because that's what we're trying to do here. Great advice. And of course, we're going to link up not only to your book, but also to your uh, your page with, um, you know, your Pilates stuff, your strengthening, your exercises, all that, because, man, we can all use more of that. And not only, you know, from the show notes, you know, from the episode notes and the show notes where those links will go through, um, they don't go through on Instagram, as everybody knows, but they certainly go through on Facebook where I post. Brilliant. And when I do a story or a reel, I can also link to those. So specific uh you know, exercises, drills, or strengthening things that might help us all stay more healthy, stay more fit. Um, so we can have, uh, you know, longer careers with running. And, uh, yeah, as I, as we know, the show motto is stay in the fight, man. We gotta, we gotta keep doing stay it, man. Stay in the fight. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, man, we've, you've been awesome, super fun to chat with, um, incredibly impressive running career. We got the great Irish accent from my mom. She's just going to love this one to death. This is going to be her favorite episode for sure. But um, we covered a lot of ground, but you know, I don't want to let you go before asking if there was something we didn't get to, or maybe if there's just a, any sort of lesson or something, one last message you want to share with the Run Chats audience. I just want to say, Ron, thanks. I know I reached out. I was, I'm a massive fan of the podcast. I think you you cover such a range of topics. It's great. It's not just the, the physical, but it's also like the emotional and the the kind of mindsets, which I really, really enjoyed. So I really enjoy this talk. I think just the variation would be the one thing to try keep in mind. And then, as you said, like, don't be too harsh on yourself. Like just, you know, just be kind of grateful that you can run, you can enjoy it. And if we can get that perspective, it's a great starting point. And as you said, everpilates.com forward slash book. We have a I have, you just get the free download and an audiobook of that. And there's loads of tips in there about different types of training and how to prevent injuries or better sleep habits and stuff like that. So yeah, hopefully people can enjoy that. Absolutely. We know they will. And uh, shout out to the Lake County as well for your man. Oh yeah. Kevin. Absolutely. Kevin for sure, man. Unfortunately, when we took her over there, she had just had a knee surgery a few months before and um, she wasn't as mobile as normal. I mean, we got yeah. around to the cliffs some more and, uh, stayed at Dromolin Castle and uh, where oh, they, lovely. yeah, where they played the Ryder Cup. Um, I'm blanking on. They were just over there. They were playing. Um, not, yeah, Adair Castle. Yes, Adair Adair Manor. Jeez, we're over there. Man, and then, rolling there. Yeah, <laughs> then we we did Dublin, so we weren't too far from you. And uh, we ended up last one other place where this falconry was like amazing with the birds. Um, uh, it, it escapes me at the moment. But we had a wonder wonderful trip. But um, it's been awesome 
getting you on. And uh, first Ireland guest, baby, you know, we got to get across the pond. We got to connect, open up that uh, pathway and get more great Irish runners to come on the show and get them listening to run chats and um, great practical advice. Awesome conversation. So much fun. Uh, no doubt it's going to inspire the run chats audience. And as we tell everybody at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was so much fun. I'm so grateful Owen reached out to me to collab on this episode. It was such a treat to hear that great Irish accent in my ears. I know my mom will be eternally grateful. I'm even going to show her this episode on YouTube so she can actually watch it. Um, such an inspiring story. What a journey. Um, not just physically, obviously, on the running side, but mentally, just trying to piece it all together. What does it take um, to become a champion, to become a five-time Irish, you know, national champion, and to just let go of those expectations that we put on ourselves and really just come to that major epiphany that no one really cares at the end of the day. If our family's happy, if our friend's happy, if we're happy, uh, they're going to support us and love us just as much. No matter what time we run in a 5K, a marathon, a cross-country race, or anything else. And um, just incredible how Owen's running changed after he just let go of those expectations. And I really enjoyed our conversation about running form, activation, shoe technology, and on not trying to change the running stride and form that we're born and we learn how to develop over time. Uh, just interesting stuff, such practical stuff. And uh, what an opportunity to get his book for free, to get some Pilates classes for free for a month, and uh, to subscribe to his YouTube channel and just learn more about mechanics, running mechanics and form, and just trying to stay healthy. All practical things we need to focus more on. So hope you all enjoyed listening to his Irish accent as much as me, and you had some great takeaways from the episode. If you get the opportunity to take a moment to hop on Apple Podcasts, write a quick review, it just does wonders for the show. It really helps us grow our reach. And uh, Owen wouldn't be here and wouldn't have been on the show if we weren't getting those kind of positive reviews from the people who are part of the Run Chats fam. So that's why I ask at the end of every episode and just want you to know the impact you all are having by taking that step to write a positive review on the show. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for everyone who's taken that step and hopefully for more of you who will. Um, so I really enjoyed this one. Hope you did too. And as I say at the end of every episode, my friends, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>